Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. And today, we're talking with Grant Kozier from Global Ag Risk Solutions. Today, I'm in the international, I can say that now, international headquarters of Global Ag Risk Solutions. Hi, Grant. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for uh, speaking with us and sharing your lessons learned. I'm really excited to talk to you today because of two things. One, uh, the tremendous uh, success that Global Ag Risk has had and learning a little bit about that, uh, but also because of uh, what you had to overcome to get that. So I think for people to you know, fully understand what we're going to be talking about, we kind of need some idea of what Global Ag Risk Solutions and Production Cost Insurance is. Uh, can you summarize or uh, give us in layman's terms? Well, it's, uh, it, it's a funny story because when we first started working with Phoenix Group, um, I wouldn't have been able to do that. <laughs> in fact, in our, in our first meeting, uh, we still refer back to how bad it was. But in essence, really what we were doing is we're, uh, we're ensuring a farm's gross margin. And if you're to ask for my elevator pitch, I would say if you were a 10,000 acre farmer and we covered you for $250 an acre, we would guarantee you and your banker and your spouse and everybody involved two and a half million dollars no matter what. So that is very different, completely different from anything that has ever been offered. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, the traditional insurances cover you for one component, which is the yield. Um, there is a perceived price associated with it in terms of what the yield is covered for, but ultimately in the end, they are only covered for yield. Ours covers yield, it covers price, and it also covers the inputs that the farm puts down in the ground as well. It's an A times B minus C equation, which is very simple, but because farms have been so accustomed to just getting paid on a loss of yield, it's hard for them to get their heads around it until we got better at talking about the story. I think the line that most resonates with our farmers is probably this. Every time you start your sprayer, your coverage goes up. Every time you put a better genetics package down, every time you put a better nutrient package down, every time you try to be better and it costs you more money, your coverage goes up by that same amount that it cost you with no additional premium. They love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, why wouldn't you? So if, if you love to grow, then your your handcuffs are off, basically. Absolutely. And in fact, one of, uh, one of our growers who got it, had his light bulb moment, said this to us. He said, so you mean that I can grow however quickly I wish and I never have to worry about blowing my dad's equity up? And we said, yeah. And he said, well, why wouldn't I buy this then? Yeah. And that, that farmer has grown from five thousand acres six years ago to 16,000 acres this year. That's amazing. Yeah, he put his money where his mouth was. <laughs> and the reason, and I guess the difference being that if um, typically without this insurance, you'd be uh, wavering on decisions to add pesticide or other products. Yeah, David, actually you've got it. That's exactly it. In fact, if you've got a crop that's out there that's, you know, maybe marginal, um, the right decision with the old traditional insurances is the first to quit spending on that crop wins. The reason why that is is because they know they've got a certain perceived revenue guarantee and the less money they spend on that crop, the difference becomes how much they get to keep. Problem with that is is that when you quit spending on that crop, 
let's say it's a drought. When that plant is under stress, it needs all the help that it can get. And it seems as though at that time, that's when the farmers are quitting on it because mathematically they shouldn't do that. Think of it as this. Let's pretend that the disease in the plant was equivalent to being itchy as a human. And it's hot. You know, if you are on a really, really hot, muggy day and you're itchy, it's worse than if it's just a really hot, muggy day. So if a farmer puts down that fungicide at the you know, time when that plant is under stress, which also means at the time when that farm financial is under stress as well, then it becomes less likely that he's going to do that. With our product, every time that he puts a fungicide pass down, his coverage goes up by that same amount. So he's exactly penny for penny the same. So in other words, there's no risk for him to try it. And because of that, it becomes a behavioral finance tool. There's no risk to try it, so they try it. By trying it, they take the stress off that plant. What happens if it rains a week later? The plant has got less stress, no disease, and it grows like crazy. It, yeah, it, it, I, remember, I remember when you first came uh, into the boardroom and explained this to us, it all seemed like we were, uh, I think, uh, first of all, completely confused, but <laughs> we were also, uh, the whole thing just seemed unreal. And I remember talking to some people in ag following that because I said, well, is, is this even possible? Can, can this work? And I, my friend had said, well, if, if, if it is, it's brilliant. And, and it, it really is. Now, the big problem, I guess, that uh, you face and faced with us was it's really complicated and nobody has ever, there's no bench or no frame of reference for people. Yeah, and then to add to that, um, we're the very first multi-parallel product in Canada that's not government-backed. And so we had the hurdles back then of you know, crafting the message so that we're all singing from the same song sheet, which you guys did a hell of a job of helping us clarify. But then we had to get people to understand and believe that just because the government isn't subsidizing our product doesn't mean that we can't be legitimate or real. We had to do an enormous amount of work to teach our growers that that in fact, because we don't take on the, you know, let's call it the bottom 10 or 15% of the poorest farmers, that that actually makes that much of a difference to the numbers that allows us to compete with the 60% subsidy. And it really is. The worst 10% of the farmers absolutely destroy the numbers. So if we don't insure those folks, for the other 90%, we're able to give them a competitive price relative to what they're used to paying. How did you, what, what was your approach or what did you do initially to take this to producers? How do you explain it? What do you use to market? Did you mean initially before we started working with you guys? Or? Sure, yeah. Oh, it was horrible. It wasn't bad, it was awful. <laughs> it was, there was, there must have been four or five different messages. And I guess in the beginning, uh, there was a fellow out of uh, Myers North Penny by the name of Dean Clippenstein and myself. <clears throat> who had a lot of relationships in the farming world. And we, in that first year, maybe two, we said, just buy it because it's good. And we did it based on our reputation. Um, I would say that probably less than a quarter of them knew what they really had bought. Oh, really? Yeah. So it, it, even after trying to explain it to them, they weren't really understanding. Well, it, but it wasn't there. Like, it was our mistake for not knowing how to say this and simplify the message. Um, it's still evolving, even now. I, mean, we, we, I think we've gotten to a point now where we have the ability to explain margin insurance better than anyone else that has ever existed. But at the time, it was, it was based on relationships. But in order for a company to become scalable, 
you can't know every farmer in the world. You know, we selected the name Global because we thought we had an idea that was big enough to be global. But you can't know every farmer in the world, so you have to have systems and processes to be able to scale that up. And, and one of the main, one of the first things you have to have is, what is, how is the message related to the end user in such a way that he gets it? Because if he gets it, he increases the chance of whether he'll buy it. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we had to work at that a lot. So what worked? What did you, uh, what didn't work and what did work? Well, one of them, just part of it was, you know, every time you start your sprayer, your coverage goes up. That's one of them. Um, so that was just finding simple ways to tell the message, I guess, right? It really yeah. was. It mm -hmm. really was, um, you know, things like, uh, like the elevator pitch, you know, guarantee you two and a half million dollars no matter what. Usually if, if you were sitting on an airplane, you said, I'm an insurance guy, the person beside you is grabbing for their magazine and turning towards to look out the window. <laughs> When I use that one line of what I just said, the two and a half million dollars, no matter what, it's often followed with, well, how do you do that? With skepticism. And, but that's all you need, right? It, the hook set, it allows the opening, and then you can just talk about it. Just be, talk about it like it's your neighbor, friends to friends, neighbor to neighbor, here's, here's how it works and here's why it works. And more often than not, having that ability to open up the conversation rather than be, Having an open-minded listener rather than a closed-minded listener has really helped us. And you guys have helped us with that a lot. Um, there have been many times when I have come in with ideas and you, you guys, uh, in a fun way, in a polite way, really shoot it down because it, it's too geeky, it's too mathy, and, and that doesn't work for probably 90% of the farmers. Now, um, used a lot of different tactics and a lot of different uh, approaches to get your name out and to explain this product. But I mean, it, it, I think um, what what worked as far as um, like it is so complicated. It feels like it does need you to sit down one on one with people. Um, trade shows, farmer meetings, um, agent advisor training, um, publications, radio, online, uh, banner ads online. I should tell that story. Uh, about the uh, one Twitter, no, sorry, the, not Twitter ad, it was the uh, Weather Network banner <laughs> ad that is my favorite. So I, I, I always, I always, whenever we go over our results from, you know, our Google Analytics for the year to see where our, our, our website traffic came from, really we're a website driven, that's our, that's our first opening brochure and our website, we've had comments on it from all over the world about how strong it is. It really makes us look bigger than we actually were in the beginning and even bigger than we are now. But I remember when you guys first proposed to us that we would, you know, buy online ads, I'm like, what are you talking about? And in the end, I was, it, it's one of my favorite mechanisms to tr drive traffic to our website. My favorite ad was the one on the Weather Network. It was a banner ad. And on it, the it, mobile app. On the mobile app, yeah. yeah. And it said, if you had global ag risk, you wouldn't need to come to this site so often. <laughs> <laughs> it was cheeky, but I loved it. I loved it. So the website uh, offers um, an, an opportunity for you to tell the story. And how do you tell it there? What has worked? Do you do, uh, I know, uh, testimonials on the website. There's a good video. There's also a good explainer video. Do those work? You know, those, those work. And, and those testimonials are... They're really the, they're the steak. But I believe the sizzle that makes us look bigger than we were when we first did it is uh, 
I don't know how you call it, is it a cartoon narrative uh, that we have that describes our product? It has been done so cleverly and so professionally. We comment, we get comments about that all over the globe. I watched your cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it a cartoon. I know, that's what I said. I would say our ad guys would not like it. But it is absolutely referred to, we watched your cartoon and that we really understand it from there. So I think we did a good job of breaking down the essence of what we are from that. And then, so that gets them to stay on the website. And our website stays our, have a nice length of time. And then it's like, yeah, well, it seems pretty interesting. And then you go to the testimonials from actual farmers who have used the actual product, um, not scripted, and it, it really, really reaffirms and gets them to that point of, hmm. And if I can get a grower to the point of, hmm, I was at a wedding last weekend. The guy said, we were at your website two years ago. I took in a meeting after I was at your website. And he said, we didn't buy. And then I, and I he said, and I happened to be sitting beside him at this reception, this young farmer, bright kid. And he said, we need to buy your product because we are putting a lot of groceries to the dirt. And in farmer language, that means they're using a lot of inputs in order to maximize the, their crop. He said, we're putting a lot of groceries to the dirt. And he said, I'd have way less stress if I had your product. I'm pretty sure we're going to get a quote from you next year. If you go back on that, that started with our website, went to a farmer meeting. What was your first uh, venture into um, farmer meetings and trade shows? Oh, I know exactly what it was. It was uh, November, late November of 2010. We had convinced a good friend of ours now, a fellow by the name of Rob Syke, who owned and was found at Agritrans. And Agritrans has a, an event up in uh, Saskatoon every fall called the Farm Forum event, where farmers pay money to go there to become smarter. And that was our very first public speaking uh, event. And I would rate the quality of that speaking engagement at about a one out of 10. <laughs> Again, we hadn't crafted our message, but it, it's, that was our very first one. Um, we have been there subsequently ever since. And, uh, you know, to, uh, to our team's credit, who now does most of the meetings, I don't do very many of them anymore. Um, they have done a great job of becoming excellent presenters. And when we get done the meeting, there is always a problem of getting the farmers out of the room to go to the next session because there's enough questions. Um, so we've gone from nobody's even heard of us to uh, our, our idea and brand recognition. I think our idea recognition is probably higher than our brand recognition right now. Um, but they're one and the same because mm -hmm. we're the only one to sell this. So we're okay with that. Um, our best guesstimate, we haven't done a formal one in about a year and a half, but our best guesstimate is we're about 70% penetration in terms of people who've heard of us or know about what the product is. Um, so that hurdle is no longer there. Um, people believe that we are, uh, a significant player and, and, and we are, I mean, we took on close to a billion dollars of liability last year. And this year, moving forward, because we launched in the U.S., um, we have told our reinsurance partners to be, be prepared for about $3 billion worth of liability. It's going to be a very big year in growth this year. So, you know, we launched last year a pilot project in the U.S. Um, we will go what I call live, in other words, into full mode, open for business mode this year. Um, the U.S. market is so much larger than the Canadian market. It's, 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 it's just a math game, numbers game. 
Um, we've we've looked in South America. We've looked in Europe. Uh, we've looked in Africa, and uh, we have not looked in the Middle East and Asia yet. Uh, in every one of those areas that I've said outside of you know continental uh, North America. Um, the only thing that's holding us back is that we just haven't got enough people trained. We have partners in each one of those areas that are begging for us to hurry up to get to them because this is a product they need. We've been told this is the first new idea in crop insurance since the early 1980s. Uh, we noticed last year in the United States that there were three camps. There were camps that were trying to get us to partner with them, camps that were trying to discredit us, and camps that were out and out attacking us and all three of those are good <laughs> well it does i guess uh it, i mean i laugh but it's true in the sense that uh your your hurdles are uh you've just said nobody knows who you are and nobody knows what this is so people talking about you or criticizing you uh starts to get conversation and and that must be helpful yeah yeah if, if if they're talking about you, you've, you've disrupted the marketplace. And we disrupted the marketplace in the United States in year one. Um, it's, I guess it's because the, the, the culture's different down there. They, they are used to private products down there. And, and this, the, the new private products that were down in the US, they have a little tweak here, or a little tweak there. And this one came down and it, and it was like, a, oh boy, to the extent of there's no way they can do it for this. It's, yeah. that, that's, yeah. it's gonna go broke and all that stuff. But, What's nice about the U.S. is that it didn't pose the same problem as what we had in Canada. And this is probably the number one thing that we have made a decision to do in Canada is that because there was no industry, thought, how do we, how do we get our, how do we get our idea out to the marketplace? And I spoke about farmer meetings. Well, how do you get farmer meetings? Well, you have to build a distribution force. And so, well, I was going to say because you went to the states in a different way uh, than you worked in Canada. Yeah, so in Canada, I'll just back up the bus. I'll say here's what we did in Canada. We now have about I know I'd have to ask one of my guys that's in charge of it, but I, I think we get eighty or eighty-five people selling for us in Canada and Western Canada. We decided to build a distribution force because we felt that was a pathway to getting our brand recognition done. I always tell this story when I'm talking to other business people about, I said, you remember back in the mid 1980s when McDonald's brought pizzas out? And then most guys can remember that. Mm -hmm. I say they weren't bad, they were awful. They were awful. But overnight they became the largest distributor of pizza in the world. It's because the distribution network is in place. And so to us, that's one of our competitive advantages is to have that distribution network in place. Well, how do you get the distribution? Well, you have to have brand recognition. If you don't have recognition where people start to seek you out in order to come work for you, then you're climbing a slippery uphill pathway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we had to start with getting known a little bit, then recruiting some advisors, and then it just sort of kept growing and growing and growing. Now when we went to the US, there are, there's 27,000, they call them agents down there, but advisors. Like in Canada, we have 85, or I'm guessing. There's, mm -hmm. 20, there's access to 27,000. So I didn't have to build a distribution network down there. And so what we did is we joint ventured with existing providers down in the United States that already had existing distribution networks. And this year, uh, well, that is, so that's really different because here you really created your own distribution in Canada, right? That was that. If you want to be a growth organization, 
you have to be a training organization first. If you don't think of yourself as trainers, you'll never grow. But if you don't have anybody to train, <laughs> it doesn't matter. So you got to build the distribution. You got to teach them how to teach, and then it grows. And right now we're starting to people are seeking us out now. So it's it's starting to reach a tipping point in critical mass. I think where it's going to really take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a great book, How Brands Grow, and the the this I guess the summary of that is that it is distribution. Distribution is the number one way for brands to grow. And uh, it, it was a it's certainly a big challenge for you and, and getting I guess producers to grow the brand in a in a lot of ways. Yeah, once our guys are on our product for um, our, our data shows us that they if they bought our product for three years, um, they just it's it's like the dominoes tipped and they'll be buying it all along. Year one, customers will drop off a little bit because they don't understand. Year two, a little bit, yes, and but it, they'll drop off some, but not as much as year one. And But by year three, if they bought it three years in a row, we almost never lose a third-year customer. I think our retention rate is in the mid-90s uh, with three-year customers and longer. Have you found differences in marketing in the United States to what you've done in Canada? Has the messaging had to change or you, it pains me to say really you've grown uh, so much with very little advertising like you uh, your marketing is fundamentally distribution yeah um, it's the same message it's the same product uh, a farmer is a farmer it doesn't matter where they are in the world um, if it's a bad year and they've got a limited amount of insurance they'll quit spending and we have to teach them that with ours they can keep spending and they are exactly the same. So it's the same down there as it is in Canada. The difference being, though, is that the American farmer uh, has such a... They're such a, a ward of the state, is, a, is probably the best way that I say it. And, and, I, and I don't say it in that American farmers are, are bad farmers, because that's not the case. They're really, really good farmers, too. The difference is, is that the American farm has been blessed to have a, an insurance program that I feel is more, more heavily weighted towards paying out, a, you know, an indemnity every year. They really, they really do expect a payment from their insurance product every year, as opposed to uh, the Canadian farmer, which hasn't had that luxury because it's not as subsidized as the U.S. market is. Um, and so, as a result of that, we have had to go down and do a little bit more training on. You know, if you're not in a claim, that means you've had a really good year, and isn't that what you want, anyways? Right. Yeah. Well, that's and that would be difficult. I would. It's that's a hurdle. It's a big hurdle. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, to the extent where you hear the companies that are marketing the products, they say, "Oh, yeah, the product really, really worked. It paid like a trooper," as opposed to <laughs> the product really, really worked. The farmer farmed himself out of a claim and did better than he would have if he would have been in a claim. Those are those are exact opposite ends of the spectrum of, yeah. of thinking. Yeah. You have to get that farmer to not ever want to get a claim. Have you, um, you've, you've tried a lot of different things. Uh, you mentioned radio, social media. What, um, what do you feel uh, has worked really well for you in, a, in, a, in a getting your brand recognition out? Um, radio for brand recognition is the most. And, and I, I know that's true because of our Google Analytics. When we run radio ads, people go to our website when we don't run radio, radio ads, they don't go to our website nearly as much. And, and even when they do go to our website, they don't stay as long. Mm-hmm. So that radio ad has really, ads have really driven traffic to that website because we know when that we ran them. 
and we know how long they stayed when we ran them. So to me, that's been number one. It's also our most expensive. Um, when we write the check to you guys, and you're one of our biggest costs, and so if it's one of our biggest costs, it comes under a lot of scrutiny, I would never not write that check because what we, we don't have a radio buying, we have, a, we have an overall strategy. Mm -hmm. And everything points towards our end goal and we decide at the start of the year, what's our end goal? We have the ability to measure it and we have, by our results of growth, believe that it's working. I would have never believed this ever. If you'd have asked me six years ago, we were going to be at this level, I'd have said, well, yeah, right. Well, it's funny you say that because I do remember the first time we met and uh, you had asked us, what do you think of the name? Global Ag Risk. <laughs> and I said, global? <laughs> You're in Moose Jaw. <laughs> but you had great confidence in, in where you were going. So I think you probably did see further than maybe you're giving yourself credit for. Except for you guys. I mean, like, come on, guys. But don't I mean, be awesome. We're called GARS. We're called GARS everywhere we go. And I was down in St. Louis last week doing a big meeting down there. And I made fun of our acronym. People laughed. They went, yeah, that's not that good. But, but we, we are literally... Global Ag Risk Solutions is a long, people say GARS because it's shorter. We're all lazy that way, but it, everybody knows it now. So it's, it is it uh, is become an acronym that people will say GARS. Absolutely. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's no, good to hear. Yeah. yeah. And what surprised you most about um, the different marketing pieces? Maybe you thought uh, wouldn't work that did work or that did work that you know, or didn't work that you thought would be a home run? Twitter and online. And I guess I didn't understand that the... Uh, the farmer, especially in seeding and harvest, the Twitter uh, activity spikes. Uh, but that's a technology-driven spike because with GPS equipment in the farms, um, the farmer's not actually having to hold on to the steering wheel anymore, so he's got a half a mile that he's watching his equipment and watching what's going on, but at the same time, his, his hands are not busy. Mm -hmm. And so Twitter use spikes in harvest and seeding. Uh, so. There's lots of activity on Twitter. We actively manage it now. We, we, we're pro actually proactively manage it. And uh, that, so that one surprised me. So how are you doing that now? Do you have someone looking after Twitter or is that something you've taken on? And, well, it started out with you guys. Um, and then we, we just hired some more people. Uh, and one of the guys in our office uh, has always used Twitter because he is a farmer. Uh, he also worked with a chem company in the past. And uh, he's... So now we take pictures and we just post them on Twitter about what's going on and we make comments about stuff that's in the media. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we do it that way. But you're not, uh, that's a good way. I mean, it doesn't sound like you're actually out there selling and saying, hey, well, you know, get your insurance or this sort of thing. It's more just joining in the conversation, being part of that uh, knowledge group and uh, I guess being there to answer any present. questions. Being present. Mm -hmm. If we're there, we're there as opposed to, you know, back of mind or, or front of mind. Some guys, really don't care for us um, so we actively refute every time that somebody comes on we found either online or on Twitter or some sort of social media site and, and takes a run at us in a negative way most often it's based on false information so we don't what we do is we clarify the information then allow the audience to make its own conclusion mm -hmm. and some guys sometimes guys come off like real fools uh, by just us providing context as to the, the truth about how the product works. Right, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's um, uh, that's the way we'd recommend you do it. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Nobody likes to be told things, but everybody likes information. Mm-hmm. Let yeah. them make up their own mind, right? Well, the sharing too. I know uh, I've seen some of the photos that uh, uh, Dave sh- shared, and it it it's fun and it's interesting, and I I'm sure the producers find it that way as well. Yeah, and we have a very young company. You know, people like youth and vitality, and well, exception of me, I'm not young, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I guess in a, in a nutshell, it's working. And on the other end, was there anything you tried that uh, you thought would be a home run and just didn't didn't come across the way or didn't work out? Um, no, I can't think of anything. Well, that's good. That's good. No, I'm, I'm like I'm not. I'm, I'm not blowing sunshine up your skirt. I like I really when I think about our strategies, it's um, I wouldn't change it. Everything that we do with you guys has to drive them to our website. To me, the website is the top of the pile, and everything has to point to that. So it has to be fresh and refreshed. Um, it has to has to carry content that's relevant. It has to con- convey what it is that we are and what it is, that, or sorry, who it is that we are and what it is that we do. And so if everything, our strategy with you guys is to drive everything to that, that's like, it's like an hourglass. I look at all the strategies at the bottom, the website in the middle, the fat part of it, and then from that website, okay, now I'm interested enough that I want to go find an advisor in my area that I work in or that I live in. Mm-hmm. And that, that is our strategy. Um, when, when people say, I've been to your website and it's, and it's good, I often say, well, how'd you get there? Because I'm trying to figure out what, what's working and mm-hmm. what's not working. And it, it's all over the map. If I could do, if I had an unlimited budget, um, I would probably go radio probably three months in spring and two or three months in fall. Uh, I'd like to be able to afford to penetrate that on a bigger way. Um, you finding producers are still listening to radio while they're harvesting or just generally? Yeah, they must be. Yeah. I mean, because Google Analytics tells us that. Uh, you know, I'd like to, for our own ego, I'd like to be able to unseat Mosaic on, on the football field, but I, I suspect that we're a long ways away from that. <laughs> well, we look forward to uh, a few years from now when it's the Global Ag Risk Solutions Stadium. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks very much, Grant. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and talking with us and sharing uh, your lessons. Anytime. Glad to help. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I'll have links to Global Ag Risk Solutions website and some of the videos that Grant was talking to on our podcast page. Lessons Learned in Marketing is the Phoenix Group podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. Music was written and produced by Six Degrees in Calgary. Talk to you next week.
Thank you.